A study in the journal Nature Human Behavior found that there were about 4% fewer preterm births than expected across a group of mostly high-income countries in spring 2020 during COVID lockdowns. The authors don't yet understand why, but the findings could eventually help understand causes of preterm births. This is Pulse Check. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. I was at the annual meeting of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco last week, where researchers raised concerns about new menthol-like cigarettes, including Camel Crush, Camel Crisp, and Newport non-menthol cigarettes. These products are on sale in California, despite the state's recent ban on most flavored tobacco products. The researchers said these new products skirt the state's menthol cigarette ban by substituting a synthetic coolant for menthol, even though it has exactly the same effect as regular menthol cigarettes. Wyoming lawmakers passed legislation that threatens any doctor who prescribes abortion pills with up to six months in jail and a $9,000 fine. That will severely limit access to abortion, which remains legal in the state, because the state has no abortion clinics. And joining me is Krista Marr to talk about how the Drug Enforcement Administration could thwart Joe Biden's plan to combat opioid addiction. Thanks for having me. Can you just quickly walk us through what's the state of the opioid epidemic in the U.S. and what's the latest way that Biden wants to combat it? So I was just looking at the latest provisional data from the CDC. There has been a little bit of a downward trend in the past like couple of months, which is promising. Mm-hmm. But overall, at this point, it is still very devastating crisis. And the Biden administration has really been doing a lot to tackle this. And one of the things that they've done, working with a couple of lawmakers who have really been behind this and different people in the advocacy community, is they got rid of this waiver that used to exist called the X waiver. And that made it easier for doctors to prescribe this particular drug that has been found to really help patients get off opioids and prevent overdose deaths. And that drug is called buprenorphine. It used to be you had to go through some training to get this drug. You could only like prescribe the drug to a certain number of patients. And now those restrictions are gone. And a lot more doctors can prescribe the drug and it is easier to apply to prescribe it as well. So what exactly does buprenorphine do? Buprenorphine is what doctors have explained to me is a, a partial opioid agonist. So it's, it is an opioid and it's a controlled substance, right? So that's one of the mm. reasons that it's tightly controlled by the government. But unlike methadone, it's not as strong or as powerful an opioid. And so what doctors do is they give it to somebody with opioid use disorder to kind of help them ease their way off of being addicted to stronger opioids. So it it helps them not go into, you know, this incredibly painful and difficult withdrawal. And it helps them, you know, not crave more powerful, dangerous drugs. And as we know, the drug market is becoming so much more dangerous now, full of very powerful Mm -hmm. drugs like fentanyl. And so this can help people kind of stay away from getting into that dangerous drug market. 
the most common way that it's prescribed and sold to people is with naloxone, the drug that I know that you've reported on, which helps prevent opioid overdoses, right? So on that combination, it's not a drug that people are really going to overdose on. It, it is kind of, that's kind of built in that it is it is safe to use. Got it. But it seems like, you know, where naloxone, there have been all these discussions around making it available over the counter to increase its availability because it's so useful in these like acute overdose situations. It seems like what you're saying is buprenorphine is more helping people combat like chronic difficulties of opioid addiction. Is that right? Right. Exactly. What are the doctors that you talk to worried about? It it seems like some have said that patients are having a difficult time getting buprenorphine. What's the problem? This is the sort of crux of the issue, right? I mean, you have on one hand the Biden administration making this very important move, making it easier for doctors to prescribe this drug. And they're doing a lot of other things too that are trying to kind of increase access to buprenorphine in different settings. But on the other hand, you know, buprenorphine is a controlled substance, it's controlled by the DEA. And it's controlled for a reason. You know, there is a black market for this drug. You know, it is sold on the streets. You know, it does need some checks and balances according to the way that we regulate drugs in this country. Mm -hmm. So what happens with buprenorphine is that distributors who sell the drugs to pharmacies are required Mm -hmm. to say if there is anything suspicious with those orders. So if suddenly a pharmacy is ordering 10 times more buprenorphine than they ever had before, that triggers a warning in the distributor's warning system, and that in turn gets reported to the DEA, okay? Mm. Now, Mm -hmm. the problem is that What exactly that threshold and those numbers should be is not specified under federal law. So distributors have had to come up with their own sort of formula for what exactly is too much or what is unusual. And basically what what's happening is that the distributors are in some cases telling pharmacies that they're ordering too much buprenorphine, or in some cases pharmacies just don't want to get tangled up with the DEA, and they're deciding not to carry buprenorphine. And so as a result, what happens is it's hard to get. So a lot of times doctors will, you know, in an ER, have a patient come in on, you know, with opioid use disorder, and then they'll prescribe buprenorphine to them to get them, you know, on the path to recovery. And the patient will have to go to two and three and four pharmacies to try to get this prescription filled. So it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it can be very tricky tricky to get. And it's because of this suspicious ordering system that the federal government has set up in order to track bad actors. So legitimate prescriptions end up getting kind of caught up in this web. I mean, is there a mechanism where the DEA could just like be better about tracking legitimate prescriptions? Isn't there a way that they could compare the number of prescriptions that are being written versus the number of prescriptions that are being filled at different pharmacies. It just seems to me like if this is a tool to help people living with addiction, more of it being prescribed isn't necessarily a bad thing. The DEA administrator, Ann Milgram, spoke at the White House a few weeks ago and said that the DEA is committed to this and wants to make buprenorphine easier for patients to get. 
this situation that I've described is a situation of kind of unintended consequences, you know, of an atmosphere that has been built up around this drug being strictly regulated for many, many years. And Mm -hmm. pharmacists, distributors, some doctors, frankly, just being worried about doing the wrong thing or make, you know, Mm -hmm. sending too much into the supply chain. And so, Distributors and pharmacists have asked for clarification, you know, from the DEA on, you know, how much is too much? You know, can can we get some clear guidance here on where to draw the line? You know, if we are trying to make sure there's enough of this drug available, can we get some, you know, clear idea of where we're going to get in trouble for sending too much out. So they they really just are asking for clearer guidance. And actually, Congress also has asked the DEA for that guidance. In including the elimination of the X waiver in the end of year spending package, um, you know, Congress said to the DEA, we are concerned that even though we are going to make it easier to get this drug, we are hearing patients are having a hard time getting it. And can we have some clarification on why that's happening, you know, and how the suspicious ordering system might be contributing to that problem. Mm. Again, it's not an issue of, you know, the DEA ignoring this problem. It's an issue of working through how to kind of balance this new push to get more more of this drug out to people and make sure that it's not diverted into the black market. You know, how do we find that balance? I think that's the question. Yeah, well, uh, we'll definitely be watching your future reporting in this space, Krista. Thanks so much for shedding light on what you found so far. Thanks for letting me talk about it. Bye. As I mentioned earlier, I was reporting at the annual meeting of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco last week. This is a big scientific meeting that doesn't allow any attendees affiliated with the tobacco or e-cigarette industry. I asked researchers what they think the single most important action the FDA's Center for Tobacco Products could take in the near future to decrease tobacco-related disease and deaths. Okay, so what do you think the most important thing that CTP should focus on? Health equity. I think reducing the addictive potential of cigarettes and combusted tobacco products. So make them do the very low nicotine products. Oh my goodness. Like a million dollar question. I think if CTP could actually implement the two plan policies of banning menthol and reducing nicotine content in cigarettes to non-addictive levels, it could have an enormous health impact. I think there's been um, a lack of focus on people who are older, so 65 and older. The prevalence rates have not declined among older adults for the last 15 years in terms of cigarette prevalence, and tobacco cessation efforts have been really focused on youth and young adults, and so older adults are really underserved. Reducing nicotine to non-addictive levels is clearly the the policy change that's most likely to save the most lives in the shortest period of time. Yeah. Uh, There's nothing like it. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Raghu Manavalan is our editor. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. 
Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.